Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. Good morning, church. <laughs> oh, I was thinking about this. Um, there's a phrase in this passage in Acts, uh, and it says that we are forgiven and free. Uh, from all of the, what the law could not set us free from. And I started thinking, freedom is a, it's a beautiful thing, right? We enjoy freedom. Uh, as Americans, we celebrate freedom every day in our daily lives. We celebrate freedom as a country on July 4th. We even celebrate freedom to move about the cabin in planes. Uh, we, we know, though, that there, is, there are requirements that have to be met for us to have freedom. So there are certain things that need to be met for us to enjoy freedom. So if you're going to be a lawyer, you have to complete the bar exam. If you're going to be a doctor, you have to complete residency. If you are going to enjoy freedom as American, many lives had to be shed or uh, sacrificed for that. In an airplane, you have to meet 10,000 feet, and the seatbelt sign has to be off for us to move about the cabin, to enjoy that freedom to get up and walk 10 feet. The life, though, of the Christian is, is the same. To be set free from sin, to be set free from all of the effects of sin, Jesus had to live the perfect life Die as the perfect sacrifice, be raised from the grave in victory, and ascend into the right hand of the Father. But the issue is, we do not always live as if the requirements of salvation have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We try to earn God's favor by how we act, how we measure up, how we participate. We attempt to buckle down and, and live the Christian life by our own power. We even try to wrestle people into submission to the gospel, all the while creating only frustration and exhaustion in ourselves. But since Jesus Christ fulfills all of the requirements for salvation, we are able as Christians to live forgiven and free. So today we're going to look at that. We're going to look at how Jesus provides for us salvation, and we're going to see what that looks like to truly live free and forgiven. So first we'll look at Jesus and how he fulfills salvation's requirements. If you look at the text with me, again, if you don't have a Bible, there's one around you. I want you in the word with me. Starting in verse 13. Now Paul and his companions, they set sail from Pathos and Perga to Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on to Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and they sat down. After reading the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. 
Paul and Barnabas, as they, were, they continued on with their missionary journey, were in what is called the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. And we see that John Mark, he goes back to Jerusalem. We'll find out later that there's some kind of conflict that happens. And he goes back, and, and Paul's upset with him, but um, they split ways. But the normal process, as they are going about and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, they would go into the synagogue, and they would, they would sit through the service, and they would, um, at times, be given an opportunity to share. We see how Luke gives us what that process looks like. They, they sit down, they hear the word read, um, they, they have the prayers of the day, and then the synagogue leader would find someone, and they say, you stand up and give a word of encouragement. A lot of how we run the service today is, is, is off of, based off of how a synagogue would have been run. So when Paul is given the opportunity to speak a word of encouragement, he preaches the good news of Jesus Christ. And he starts at the very beginning. Because he knows this is, this is full of Jews and God fears those who are converting to Judaism. So they know the story of the Bible. And we can learn greatly from this process of how Paul presents the gospel in two ways. First, understand that all encouragement, any encouragement, has its foundation in Jesus Christ, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are tons of books out there on encouragement that boast encouragement, boast on your best life now. They boast on helping you, but every single one of them are fading shadows if they do not point you to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we know any word of encouragement that we're going to give someone should be rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And secondly, when we present the gospel to others, we need to connect their history with the history of salvation, what God has been doing all along. We are letting people know how they fit in the grand narrative of God's plan for salvation. We say, this is where you came from, this is what God has been doing all along, and this is where you meet together. So Paul, he reminds these Jewish believers of their promises or of the promises of God. He says, listen, verse 17, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. Don't you just love that phrase? How long has God put up with me? About 40 years. After... It's pretty convicting. Uh, And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. This all took about 450 years. And he gave them the judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David uh, to be their king and of whom he testified, and he said, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. And Paul says he chose our fathers. 
He chose our fathers. Bringing to mind Genesis 12, 3, he says, God goes to Abraham. He says, I will bless those who bless you and, and those who dishonor you, I will curse. And in you, Israel, in you, Abraham, all the families of earth shall be blessed. That through Israel, all the nations will be blessed. And Paul is just reminding them, this is who you are. The following Sabbath, he revisits that. He reminds them that the salvation of the nations through Israel, that's always been God's plan. He's always planned to bring his Messiah. If you look at verse 48, it says, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying. I'm going to back up one. Verse 47 So the Lord commanded, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. It's always been God's plan. The Gentiles had been appointed, verse 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life, they believed The plan was promised way back in Genesis 12. God says, I am going to bless all the nations through Abraham. And then in Isaiah 49, that's what's quoted here in verse, in Acts 13, 47, he says, it's from Israel that I'm going to bless the nations. And here in Acts, we see that is being fulfilled. So Paul's just saying, look at the line of how God has been moving. This is what he has been doing and honestly, this should have been super exciting for them. They should have, this should have been beyond exciting for the Jew in that time because they're seeing that it was evidence that the Messiah actually has come, that he's actually here. He's actually completing the work that he promised to do. But in God's movement through Israel's history, all along, they have been rebellious. They've heard the prophets They've heard God speaking for generation after generation after generation, and they refused to repent and turn. John the Baptist calls them to repentance. Paul reminds them of that. Before this, in verse 24, John proclaimed the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And when he finished, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I'm not he. No, but behold, one after me is coming the sandals of whose feet I am not unworthy, or I'm unworthy to untie. The rulers of Jesus' time didn't recognize him. They saw him, couldn't find anything wrong with him, but executed him anyways. Through Acts, we see the Jewish people turning their back over and over on the proclamation of the gospel, saying, no thank you. And the question remains, have you thought yourself to be a God follower, but have rejected his Messiah? Do you attend church? It says that they attend church every Sabbath. Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath, they hear what the prophets are saying and they're missing it. They're missing what they're saying. Have you missed the Savior? Have you only become more religious? I would say this morning, lift up your eyes And look at Jesus. He's the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And he fulfills three roles that we see in this passage. Three roles of the promised Messiah. First, the role of prophet. 
Jesus, as Paul is walking through the history of Israel, this very brief history of Israel from Egypt to David, and he's showing them that this is all leading to Jesus Christ just as God promised. This is what he's been doing. He's always been saving his people. Moses, back in Deuteronomy, he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among you from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And just as God raised up Moses and he used Moses to pull his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, Jesus in a much more eternally uh, significant way is delivering us today from the slavery to sin. Jesus isn't only the ultimate prophet, but he's the fulfillment of all prophecy. He's the one who proclaims salvation and he is the one who secures salvation. He's the ultimate prophet because he doesn't only speak the word, he is the word. He's bringing God to his people and his people to God. And Jesus fulfills the role of prophet who holds the words of life. The question is, have you submitted to him? Have you submitted to his word? Do you delight in his commandments? Do you delight or are you even in his word? We have to look at the word and say, this is the word of life and Jesus has given it to us. Or am I just hearing it and then it's going in one ear and out the other? Jesus also fulfills the role of priest. Look at verse 28. And though they found him in him no, guilty, no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb. Jesus fulfills the role of priest, but not only because he, not by making sacrifices of bulls and goats to cover sin, but by allowing himself to be sacrificed as a payment for all sin. We see in Hebrews, for then Jesus would have had to suffer repeatedly if he was going and offering bulls or offering himself continuously since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And in Hebrews 10, he continues on, but when Christ offered for all a single time, or for all time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And this is significant, uh, not only that he um, paid for sin, but Luke makes sure that we see that he was on a tree. He doesn't use cross here. He uses a tree because he wants to make the connection for the Jewish audience to Deuteronomy. Anybody's body should not remain all night on a tree, but you shall bury them the same day because a hangman is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. 
Luke is making sure, or Paul is making sure, that the, the Jewish audience, they understand that Jesus is the cursed one. He is taking the curse that they deserve. Peter will pick it up later. He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree, that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Paul will pick it up later in Galatians. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Sin had to be paid for. Sin had to be paid for because it is outright rebellion against God. Every single one of us were sinners, and each one of us had a debt, a payment that we could not make, a payment that had to be paid. But knowing we could never make that payment, God chose to make that payment for us, for all who trust in the name of Jesus Christ. The trust that he's the perfect priest, the one that fulfills all the requirements, washing away sin by his own blood. That's the payment we could never make. But Jesus paid your debt. And you may be thinking, uh, but what about this sin? There's no way that he paid for this sin. Surely he didn't cover this or that. It's, it's far too much. And he says, my grace is sufficient. I'm the perfect priest, the one who pays for all sin. And not only does he fulfill the role of, of prophet and priest, he fulfills the role of king, Jesus is the offspring of David. He is the promised one to come. Paul makes sure that they understand that in verse 22. When he removed Saul, he rose up David to be a king of whom he testified and said, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all of my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised and not only is Jesus David's offspring, he's the begotten son, the only begotten son of God. A title not referring to being born or created, but of divine kingship. The one who fulfills the requirement of being the eternal king. So as Jesus, so as king Jesus rules until all his enemies are made a footstool under his feet. He fulfills the role of eternal king, restoring the corrupted kingdom of God because of sin back to its original purpose. That's what his purpose is. That's what he leads uh, people out of slavery. He's the priest who pays their debts and brings them to God. And he's the king who rules perfectly and forever. And because he fulfills all of those requirements, the gospel can go to the ends of the earth. He now has the authority to send the Spirit and save to the ends of the earth. Just as we say every week, we go back to Acts 1.8, you as the church will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And it's in the work of Jesus. It's because he fulfilled all that uh, salvation required, all God required for salvation, we can live forgiven and free. 
Paul points out to these Jewish leaders the history of rebellion. He shows them over and over how they have rebelled. How Israel has rebelled from the desert uh, to rejecting and executing Jesus. All along, they have been rejecting the word of the Lord. But he only does that to expose, he exposes their sin to show them the grace of God. In verse 23, just listen to the, the grace he's preaching to them. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior. Verse 26, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of salvation. Verse 32, we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. Verse 38, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you, and that everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. You see, the word, the Lord, he's working through their disobedience and through their unfaithfulness in his faithfulness to bring about the Savior because he knew they would be unfaithful. Listen, your past, your struggles, your life in rebellion against God has been exposed by the word. He shows you that you are a sinner, a, a, a word that is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's exposing to you the, the cancer of sin so that you see that you need a savior. He wounds those so he can heal. Like, like a doctor setting a bone so that you can walk again. Like a surgeon repairing a heart so that it can continue to beat. When sin is exposed in your life, the Lord is not robbing you of fun. He's not, showing, he's not saying, look at this, you filthy animal. He is showing you so he can save you from the death that that sin is bringing. Would you not tell an alcoholic that alcohol is killing them? Would you not tell your kids, don't play in the street. It could kill you. Jesus reveals sin to set you free from its effects that are killing you. And Jesus, the forgiveness of sin is proclaimed. Many of you are holding on to past sin, past failure, past struggles. You've, you've heard that you're forgiven, but you're yet to believe that you are truly forgiven. That God is not holding on to that so that when you mess up, he says, I knew it. I knew you would mess up. You've always messed up. You've been set free from the penalty of sin. Stop holding on to it. Stop holding on to it in trust of the cleansing power of Jesus Christ. That is the beauty of the meal that we celebrate this morning, that we can taste and see that God is truly forgiving us. And everyone who believes is freed from everything. Paul says, everything from which the law could not set you free from. So first off, first and foremost, the law could never justify us. It was inadequate for justifying sinners. It paid for one sin at a time. And most people, probably like all of us, had sinned before they left the tabernacle. They, were all, they should have just turned around and made another sacrifice. 
The law, justification, it's a legal idea. It's a declaration of independence. The law and the sacrificial system could never give that. But now in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. Before God, you stand justified. You stand righteous and redeemed. And secondly, the law could not set a sinner free from sin. It could pay for sin. It could expose sin. But the sinner was like a dog returning to their vomit. They would just keep going back. And you're like, I know. I've done that. But by the power of Jesus, by the spirit that he puts in you, you are able to put to death sin. You are able to live free from sin's bondage. You are no longer a slave to sin and its demands. In Christ, you're being set free from anger as you keep turning to him and say, Lord, forgive me and work that out of me. And he will. It might take your whole life, but he is working it out of you. You'll be freed from lust, greed, envy as you continually turn back to God, as you continually return to Jesus and and remember and be ministered by him. And he's saying, I am enough for you. I provide all that you need. You will be freed because he's working in your heart. He promises to work in your heart, to give you a new heart so that you can do what he commands you to do. Because he's revealing to you that the meek inherit the earth. That it's the poor in spirit who receive the kingdom of God. Church, since Jesus fulfilled all the requirements for salvation, we're able to now live free and forgiven. And when we stumble, and we will, he's not there to smite us. I love that word. He's not there to smite us. He lives forever to make intercession for us. Verse 37 and 38, it says, God raised him up, raised up and did not, he did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. He did not see corruption. He is forever making intercession for you. Consequently, Hebrews 7, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is eternally working on your heart. Believer, don't listen to Satan tell you that you're worthless, wretched, unfit for the kingdom. Don't listen to what he is saying. Live in the understanding that you are forgiven and let that Help you live free for Christ. Jesus, his work also sets us free from doubt. Look at verse 40 and 41. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should, be, should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish from doing a work in your days, a work that you would not believe, and even if one tells it to you. This quote is from Habakkuk. I know it's your favorite book out there. 
Habakkuk 1.5. It's actually, he's quoting the Greek version. Uh, so if you flip back to Habakkuk, and don't do that right now, um, you'll see that the, the quotes don't align really well because he's quoting the Greek version of the text. But what's going on here is Israel is doubting what God is doing. He's doubting, they're doubting because the Chaldeans have come in and they're ravishing the land and they're destroying everything and they're taking prisoners just as God promised would happen, but they seem to forget that. And they doubted the word of God. Habakkuk is crying out to God. He's saying, what are you doing? How long are you going to let this go on? And God says, even if I told you, you wouldn't believe it what I'm doing. And they doubted the word of God. He promised to be with them. He promised to be with them in captivity. He promised that the Messiah was coming, that he would bring them back into the land, even though it didn't look like it at that time. And Paul goes back to that passage and he grabs it um, and he, he's showing it to the rulers of Israel because they're still doubting in the power of, and goodness of God. Doing They're still not listening to the prophet. They're still not believing that God is doing something great. And church, life will get tough. And there are times that feel impossible in your life. When seasons feel like the walls are falling down all around you, nothing is going right. And in those moments, you have two choices. One, believe God is in control, and no matter what it looks like around you, he is doing something great. Or two, become a scoffer and perish. Perish with no hope in God, be riddled in doubt, find no hope. But Jesus came to set you free from doubt in what God is doing. He came to set you free because if he would come and he would give his own life for you, if he would go as far as dying on the cross for you, why would he fail to give you anything else? Why would he fail to give you anything else that he has promised to you? Trust in the Lord. Feed your faith and doubt will starve to death. Look at the cross and remember how far Jesus went. Look at the empty grave and remember who is the victor. Look to the throne and remember who's ruling over all things. And you're free from doubt in your identity in Jesus Christ. You are chosen, you're loved, adopted, rescued. You're his bride, you're the apple of his eye. His banner over you is love. You no longer have to doubt that God loves you and is for you. His spirit is anchoring that truth in your heart. As you read the word, as you pray, as you remember, he's anchoring that in you. So listen to his word. Believe in his promises. Cry out when you don't believe that. Lord, this is what you've promised and I don't feel that. And when you believe who you are in Jesus Christ... You're free from all what the world and Satan tells you you are. You're a loser. No, I'm loved. You're worthless. No, I'm, I'm valuable. You're broken. Nope, I've been made whole. You're alone. No, I'm, I'm indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And we have to remind each other that promise. We have to remind each other that's who we are. 
Paul and Barnabas, they go and they encourage those who turn in faith, the the Jews that turn and the God-fearers that turn, and, and they say to them, they urge them to continue in the grace of God, to continue on in the salvation that he provides, to continue on in the freedom that he has purchased, to not turn back to their old ways, but to rest in the promise of God. Are you continuing on in the grace of God? Are you freely living in the knowledge that you've been saved by grace? Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace from God you've been saved through faith. This isn't your doing. It's a gift from God. In your sin, are you returning to the cross? Returning to what Jesus has accomplished already? Or are you continuously punishing yourself and trying to work your way back into God's grace? Because he says, I, Jesus says, I paid this already. You're forgiven. Have you understood forgiveness of sin by the power of the cross, but now you're trying to live the Christian life on your own power? Are you trying to do everything uh, that you can to live this life because you're awesome? Paul says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Is it before you, or it was before you that the eye, or before your eyes, that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Let me ask you only this Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Have you begun by the Spirit and are now being perfected by the flesh? He's saying, Have faith. And God's work in you. Christian, you are free to continue in grace. To be filled by the Spirit. To rest from your toil of trying to measure up. Because Christ is the one that makes you righteous. And you're free to proclaim salvation. Free to proclaim that everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. We can go and proclaim that good news. We can live that good news in front of everyone. And in your proclaiming, you're free from the responsibility of how people respond. That is not for us. That's not ours to change people's hearts. We can't change people's hearts. God changes people's hearts. We just proclaim the good news and pray. And we see some judge themselves not worthy for eternal life. But just as God promised, salvation will go to the ends of the earth and as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. And you're free to live in the Spirit. As you live in the will of God and receive His Spirit, the fruit of joy will start to sprout in your life. You'll turn your mourning into dancing, your depression into rejoicing, your darkness into light. I know someone who just suffered a catastrophic uh, loss. And in that loss was able to say, God has saved those I've lost. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, even though this is terrible, that I will be with them forever. And joy isn't always clapping your hands and jumping. It's knowing the truth, knowing the hope that's set before you. 
And in the Spirit, he'll start producing in us love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Ultimately, Jesus is setting us free to be who we were always created to be, reflecting the image of God. He's removing all of the garbage that, that robs us from that image and increasing all that makes us look like him. And I want to quickly close with a few warnings. Don't miss what God is doing. Paul says, look, you scoffers, be astounded and and perish. For I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you would not believe even if one tells you. Some in Israel miss Jesus. They missed forgiveness. They missed eternal life because they hardened their hearts. And they missed what God was doing. They refused to believe that's what God was doing. Don't miss God's grace this morning. He is calling. He is doing something great. He is saving the nations. There are none that are too far gone. Don't judge yourself unworthy for eternal life as they did. And church, don't miss your calling. I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That's our calling, to tell of the good news of Jesus Christ. But there's a time when the Lord turns you over to your desires. Look at verse 51. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. The Jews in this passage, at least some of the Jews in this passage, they missed the gospel. They were given over to their distorted understanding of the word. And Paul sounds the same warning for the church in Rome. The wrath of God is seen in giving people exactly what they want instead of what they need. So turn to Jesus this morning. Come and pray with me. I'll sit in the front here in the next song or after the service. Uh, Come pray with me sometime. Don't resist the Spirit of God this morning. And Christian, remember who you are. Remember you're forgiven. You're free. Stop turning to sin that once enslaved you. Repent and follow Jesus. That's where true life remains. Jesus fulfilled all salvation's requirements so you could do that, so that you could live forgiven and free. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.